Hey everybody, this is Chris Mata, host of a podcast, A Mata of Opinion. On this show, we will be celebrating the best time of the year, football season. Welcome, and stay tuned for today's episode. As promised, we're going to be going over the Sunday afternoon slot games. We're going to be starting with the Packers and the Bears. Now, the Packers dominated this game 38-20. Now, I know it was a bit of a snooze fest the first half, but the second half is where things popped off. The Bears fans have been waiting since 2018 for them to beat the Packers, and it looks like it's going to be five more years of waiting. Jordan Love, the very first Aaron Rodgers protege, had an excellent day in Chicago. He was 15 of 27 for 245 yards and three touchdowns. He completed passes to six different receivers. Aaron Jones had nine carries for 41 yards and one touchdown. He also had two receptions for 86 yards and one touchdown. Justin Fields, he was absolutely turnover prone and didn't help the Bears maintain possession of the ball. He ended the day 24 of 37 for 216 yards, one touchdown and one interception. He had nine rushing attempts for 59 yards and one fumble that was lost. The highlight of the day was the rookie running back, Roshan Smith. He looked like an absolute tank on the goal line, and I was impressed with just the little amount of carries that I saw him take today. But moving forward, I'm expecting to see him in the starting lineup sooner rather than later. Our next matchup is going to be the Raiders at the Broncos. The Raiders did upset the Broncos by one point, 17 to 16. And again, Sean Payton went to work this offseason. You could tell there was an immediate change in this offense. They kept Wilson on the move. He was rolling out consistently. It was looking like an old Seahawks playbook. Just keep rolling him out to the right. Let him pick his spots. Let him drop some dimes. He finished the day 27 of 34 for 177 yards and two touchdowns. The run game with Slow Williams may be seeing himself replaced sooner rather than later because Samaje Pirine looked amazing in that offense. Not only did I feel like he rushed a little bit better, but he had better hands. The score really doesn't show how much of the game the Raiders were able to dominate. Jimmy Garoppolo was 20 of 26 passing for 200 yards and two touchdowns. Josh Jacobs did have a quiet night, but Jacoby Myers had 81 yards receiving and two touchdowns. He was knocked out of the game due to a helmet-to-helmet collision, but at that point, the game was over, and the Raiders were able to run out the clock. The Broncos' pass rush was non-existent and left the secondary to absolutely get shredded. With that being said, they did manage to keep the score from getting too lopsided by having good goal line stands and forcing the Raiders to punt. The MVP for the Raiders was the Broncos kicker Will Lutz, who shanked an extra point and missed a 55-yard field goal. I can't imagine he can multitask well at all because he can barely handle one job. The key moment that stood out to me was the fourth and three, and that was the decision that the Broncos decided to punt the ball instead of going for it. Even with a new head coach and a new system, the play calls are still ruled by fear. There was five minutes left. The Broncos were down by one. You did have three timeouts and a two-minute warning. I get the decision to punt. But knowing what this team has been through, what the team thought process is right now, how it's always been, let's not trust the offense. Let's trust the defense. Let's punt it away. And has consistently led them to lose these type of games. And it was no different this time. That is what blows me away. I was expecting Sean Payton to pull out that play chart, pick the three plays that he had for this exact moment because I didn't think he would make the exact same mistake as everybody else. But... They decided to punt the ball. The defense could not force the Raiders off of the field. That was it. It was 11 straight plays. They killed the entire clock. The Broncos never got their chance to bring the offense back onto the field. 
So that's how it ends up. At the end of the day, the Raiders are at the top of that division and are the only team in the AFC West that came away with a win. Our next matchup was the Eagles and the Patriots. Now, I know what you were wondering. How does an elite offense look against an elite defense? Well, it did not disappoint. The score ended up being 25-20. to 20. The difference was the pick six by Mac Jones and even the fumble by Ezekiel Elliott. By the way, he is a Patriot now. Cowboys fans probably still miss him a little bit in their hearts. Now, the one thing that did irk me on the pick six that was thrown by Mac Jones, the attempt to make the tackle after the interception was not there. He was feet away from being able to make a tackle and saving a touchdown, possibly saving a touchdown, but there was zero effort. You at least want a quarterback that will dive, maybe hit him like Josh Allen would, and and I don't know, just show some sort of effort. I still think it'll be zappy hours sooner rather than later. But again, Mac Jones is the guy they're rolling with. They feel like he can get it done. Now, for what the Eagles were able to pummel them through for the first quarter, it was 17-0. to So Mac Jones, he hung in there. The defense hung in there. The Patriots just showed how they can respond to being down to an elite offense. So the Patriots' defense did start forcing the Eagles to punt the ball. They made a couple of goal line stands. They did force them to make a couple of field goals. Jalen Hurts looked okay, but not close to the bar that he set last year. All in all, the Patriots' defense did everything that they needed to. Mac Jones had two opportunities to put this game away and choked away both opportunities. However, you could immediately see the improvement on the offensive side of the ball. This was no longer just a screen left, screen right, handoff on third down. This was legitimate plays being called, motions happening, and at least making attempts downfield to keep them in it. As a Patriots fan, you can be proud of your team. You stood tall against one of the best offenses that the league has to offer, and you almost put them away. So again, looking forward to it, Patriots. They still have that elite defense, and the Eagles were a little shocked at how close they came to losing to this team. Now for the real game of the week. It was the Dolphins and the Chargers. And the trend of the quarterbacks fumbling from the center continued, even in this matchup. We saw Tua fumbling it around, not being able to get on top of it. But however, the Dolphins were able to get into scoring position so easily in this game. So easily. And we're talking the opening drive. It was one pass to Waddle that ended up getting them in to scoring position. However, they did fumble for a second time, and it was on the center, <laughs> on the center snap exchange, and it completely just shot their first drive in the face. But going from there, the Chargers did go down the field and score. They were leading in this game several times, but the Dolphins kept coming back, and score changes, lead changes in this game. I want to say it happened at least six times. As far as the running game for the Dolphins, it is still a viable option. Raheem Mostert looked amazing. He was cutting well. His vision was great in the backfield, and he still has that amazing burst. Looking over at the Chargers' perspective, Herbert was able to air it out from the start. He was not afraid to convert and rush for some first downs, and I'll never blame the loss on an offense when they've scored over 30 points. At some point, you have to put some sort of responsibility on your defense, and neither team had a defense today. And when it came down to Herbert, I I try and defend him as much as I could. I really enjoyed watching him come out and be one of the elite starting quarterbacks. And he has all of 
the talent, the discipline, the arm strength, the pocket awareness, the ability to run, he has all of those tools. The only thing he cannot do is clutch a win. He's a Phillip Rivers 2.0. And Phillip Rivers, an excellent quarterback, somebody that's going to be remembered forever. But he was always known to choke at the most pristine moments. And I'm afraid that's Justin Herbert. Again, it's hard to say that after he just scored over 30 points. But wow, you had the play in your hand. He has an intentional grounding call called on him in their final drive, making a third and 25 scenario, and then gets sacked back to back. It was all over. The Dolphins were able to make their defensive stand. Unfortunately, the Chargers couldn't do it. I'm pretty sure Brandon Staley is going to be on the chopping block after this season if he cannot get that under control. That was something that was a big problem last year. It's still a problem this year. They need to figure out that defense and fast. Going into one of the biggest disappointments of this year, it was the Rams and the Seahawks. I had the Seahawks blowing this game out of the water, but the Seahawks continue to disappoint even when they play a team with no offensive superstars. The offensive line could not keep a clean pocket, and they couldn't give the running back any room to breathe. The secondary looked like the lawn care team because the only thing that they could cover was grass. The defensive line was little to no help because there was no pass rush either. The team looked like it took a huge step backwards in their campaign. There was a glimmer of hope with an early Metcalf touchdown and some flashy runs by Kenneth Walker, but after that, it was all Rams. The real story here is how Matthew Stafford was able to expose an entire defense with no Cooper Cup. Tutu Atwell was able to get 119 yards receiving, and rookie Puka Nakua, he was able to get 10 receptions and 119 yards as well. This may not be as high-flying as they were 10 years ago, but McVay has a formula that works. A major change has been life in the run game. Cam Akers and Kyron Williams were able to keep the defense honest and punch in for a total of three touchdowns. Analysts predicted this team was to have just a total of six wins this season, but I don't think the Rams know that, and they are here to compete. Moving on to the Sunday night game. This was the Cowboys and the Giants, if you want to call that a game. And again, we always see a Cowboys slaughter. Somewhere along the season, we see a Cowboys slaughter. This time, they lined up the Giants for a 40 to nothing beatdown. And as predicted, the Cowboys manhandled the Giants during a rainy night. Dak Prescott didn't have to do anything at all. He was 13 of 24 for 143 yards, no touchdowns. However, the special teams unit and the defense both scored touchdowns. Tony Pollard rushed for 70 yards and two touchdowns. The Giants looked absolutely flat. I'm laughing my ass off because that is the $40 million quarterback that they decided to pay out, and they hassled Saquon Barkley every step of the way to pay him out. That was, I don't know. That's poetic justice right there. That is Daniel Jones at his finest. They have a very small window to prove that they can still compete in the NFC East. As of right now, it is all Cowboys. It is all Eagles. Commanders are going to be hanging in there, but they're going to be three or four games behind either of those teams. Now, where do the Giants fit in? I don't exactly know. They're going to be fighting for fourth place with the Commanders at this point. And I know Giants fans are going to say, it was, it was a rainy game. It was a torrential downpour, and I get it. That contributes to some mishaps that could happen, but there is no excuse for getting your back blown out 
to a divisional opponent without even putting up a fight. There was nothing consensual about that game. And the very last game that kicked off was probably the most emotional for most people. It was the Bills and the Jets. I did have such faith in the Bills that they would just wipe the Jets clean. And that was when I thought Aaron Rodgers would stay in the lineup. Aaron Rodgers goes down. We're thinking, oh no, maybe it was an ankle. Maybe, just maybe it was a sprain. You looked at that replay and you could see just the muscle shoot up the calf. And it was confirmed. It was an Achilles tear. That is going to be ending his season. But looking at his age and looking how hesitant he was to even come back for this one season after three days in the dark, I think this is a career ender for Aaron Rodgers. The age isn't there. I don't think the love for the game is still there. But we're, we're going to see. He has his cryptic tweet already out there. It's always darkest before the dawn and I will rise again. Who knows? Maybe he's talking about coaching and not actually playing. However, this did reignite the debate that's already existed about turf fields and grass fields. Now, this would cost the league around $11.9 million to pull it off. The NFL Players Association will continue to push for this, but I'm pretty sure the NFL is not even going to budge. They like to make the argument that all these injuries are costing the game money, when obviously it's not even close. It's still raking in billions of dollars a year. They do not care. I do not understand how long it will take the players for them to understand. I did an entire podcast on the CTE epidemic and the the major payout that they received, but that was a billion-dollar payout, and I think it was less than 200000 to each player affected, and we're talking a lifetime illness, some of them debilitating to where they can't even walk or remember their own names. The league does not care. $11.9 million. They're going to tell you where to shove it. Now, Von Miller, on a podcast earlier this week, he was already talking with Stefan Diggs and stated that the way Aaron Rodgers' body was positioned and the stress that was placed on his leg, it didn't matter if the field was grass or turf. That injury was just going to happen. Moving back to the actual game that took place, the Jets managed to rally around their fallen teammate, and they squeaked out a win. Josh Allen was 29-41, and 41, for 236 yards, one touchdown, and three interceptions. Yes, three interceptions. Someone get this man some classes because it was absolutely atrocious. James Cook rushed for a measly 46 yards. Stephon Diggs had 10 receptions for 102 yards and one touchdown. Michael Irving also was talking earlier this week, and he was talking about how Diggs was taunting his quarterback, always making the motion to be smart, pointing his head on his helmet, and he's telling him to quit that. Michael Irving saying that the only thing that's going to come out of that is you're going to put your own teammate down, his confidence is going to get shredded, you're still not going to get the ball, and the team is going to lose. So again, maybe take advice from one of the all-time greats, one of the Hall of Famers. Quit doing that. Do your job. Let Josh Allen do his. But it doesn't seem to matter because Stephon Diggs seems like he's going to be unhappy with whatever the team decides to do. If they decide to try and force feed him so much that they're throwing into interceptions instead of reading what the play gives you, and yes, they're going to double cover you, and sometimes you may not be the hero of the game, but you definitely allowed the offense space. And that space for them to operate and win games, that should be the number one goal, not being how well can I make my stat sheet look. 
on the opposite end, we have the second protege of Aaron Rodgers. It is Zach Wilson, who is 14 of 21 for 140 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. Brees Hall made his return and looks as if he never lost his step. He had 10 carries for 127 yards. Garrett Wilson did have five catches for 34 yards and one touchdown. We will see how Zach Wilson impacts his ceiling. Now, I know it's going to be Wilson to Wilson, but it's not as high or as impressive as seeing Aaron Rodgers throw to Garrett Wilson. And I know they had their goodbye moment in the locker room, and it's going to be rough, and it's going to be hard for that team to adjust, but they do have to keep looking forward. And I know Salah says that this is Wilson's team, and they're going to be moving forward behind him. But personally, I have seen enough of Zach Wilson, and I'm getting sick of how lucky he is with getting these lucky breaks for him to always keep being able to give him this opportunity, always give him another shot, no matter how terrible he does, no matter how much he doesn't care about his teammates, no matter how much he doesn't care about the media's perspective or how his own behavior off the field affects how everybody views him in the locker room as well. I'm sick of it. You've got players that are dying for this opportunity and this kid keeps throwing them away and they keep handing it right back to him. I'm just, I'm out on Zach Wilson. I think this is the nail in the coffin, but that's just a mod of opinion. So thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to follow and share.